At half-past six on the 21st of June, 1922, when Count Alexander Ilyich Rostov was escorted through the gates of the Kremlin onto Red Square, it was glorious and cool. Drawing his shoulders back without breaking stride, the Count inhaled the air like one fresh from a swim. The sky was the very blue that the cupolas of St. Basil's had been painted for. Their pinks, greens, and golds shimmered as if it were the sole purpose of a religion to cheer its divinity. Even the Bolshevik girls conversing before the windows of the State Department store seemed dressed to celebrate the last days of spring. Hello, my good man, the Count called to Fyodor at the edge of the square. I see the blackberries have come in early this year. Giving the startled fruit seller no time to reply, the Count walked briskly on, his waxed moustaches spread like the wings of a gull. Passing through Resurrection Gate, he turned his back on the lilacs of the Alexander Gardens and proceeded toward Theatre Square, where the Hotel Metropole stood in all its glory. When he reached the threshold, the Count gave a wink to Pavel, the afternoon doorman, and turned with a hand outstretched to the two soldiers trailing behind him. Thank you, gentlemen, for delivering me safely. I shall no longer be in need of your assistance. Those strapping lads, both of the soldiers had to look up from under their caps to return the Count's gaze, for like ten generations of Rostov men, the Count stood an easy six foot three. On you go, said the more thuggish of the two, his hand on the butt of his rifle. We are to see you to your rooms. In the lobby, the Count gave a wide wave with which to simultaneously greet the unflappable Arcadi, who was manning the front desk, and sweet Valentina, who was dusting a statuette. Though the Count had greeted them in this manner a hundred times before, both responded with a wide-eyed stare. It was the sort of reception one might have expected when arriving for a dinner party, having forgotten to don one's pants. Passing the young girl with the penchant for yellow who was reading a magazine in her favourite lobby chair, the Count came to an abrupt stop before the potted palms in order to address his escort. The lift or the stairs, gentlemen? The soldiers looked from one another to the Count and back again, apparently unable to make up their minds. How is a soldier expected to prevail on the field of battle? The Count wondered if he cannot be decisive about ascending to an upper floor. The stairs, he determined on their behalf, then vaulted the steps two at a time, as had been his habit since the academy. On the third floor, the Count walked down the red-carpeted hallway toward his suite, an interconnected bedroom, bath, dining room, and grand salon with eight-foot windows overlooking the lindens of Theatre Square. And there the rudeness of the day awaited. For before the flung-open doors of his rooms stood a captain of the guards with Pasha and Petya, the hotel's bellhops. The two young men met the Count's gaze with looks of embarrassment, having clearly been conscripted into some duty they found distasteful. The Count addressed the officer. What is the meaning of this, Captain? The Captain who seemed mildly surprised by the question, had the good training to maintain the evenness of his effect. 
I am here to show you to your quarters. These are my quarters. Betraying the slightest suggestion of a smile, the captain replied, No longer, I'm afraid. Leaving Pasha and Petya behind, the captain led the Count and his escort to a utility stair hidden behind an inconspicuous door in the core of the hotel. The ill-lit ascent turned a sharp corner every five steps in the manner of a belfry. Up they wound three flights to where a door opened on a narrow corridor servicing a bathroom and six bedrooms reminiscent of monastic cells. This attic was originally built to house the butlers and ladies' maids of the Metropole's guests, but when the practice of travelling with servants fell out of fashion, the unused rooms had been claimed by the caprices of casual urgency. Thenceforth warehousing scraps of lumber, broken furniture, and other assorted debris. Earlier that day, the room closet to the stairwell had been cleared of all but an iron cast bed, a three-legged bureau, and a decade of dust. In the corner near the door was a small closet, rather like a telephone box, that had been dropped in the room as an afterthought. Reflecting the pitch of the roof, the ceiling sloped at a gradual incline as it moved away from the door, such that at the room's outer wall the only place where the Count could stand to his full height was where a dormer accommodated a window the size of a chessboard. As the two guards looked on smugly from the hall, the good captain explained that he had summoned the bellhops to help the Count move what few belongings his new quarters would accommodate. And the rest? Becomes the property of the people. So this is their game, thought the Count. Very well. Back down the belfry he skipped as the guards hurried behind him, their rifles clacking against the wall. On the third floor he marched along the hallway and into his suite, where the two bellhops looked up with woeful expressions. It's all right, fellows, the Count assured, and then began pointing. This, that, those, all the books—